Testament passage today picks up in James chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And remember, I told you yesterday, this is the dirt practical book of the New Testament. I mean, this is this is where the, the rubber meets the road. Okay, this is this is okay, real Christian life. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. You know that we who teach will be judged with a stricter with greater strictness. Isn't that fascinating? Everybody wants to be a preacher today. (laughs) He said, not not many of you should want to do this. Not many of you should want to be teachers. Because when you teach, you're judged with a a greater strictness. See, you're going to have to understand, as pastors, we are accountable. And please forgive me, connect group leaders, you are accountable. And what you teach, you are held accountable for. You are judged with a greater strictness. Now, look at what James says next. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, notice, James is a leader. Leaders. He said, we all stumble in many ways. He said, you know what? All of us screw up in many ways. He said, well, welcome to the Christian life, guys. He said, I'm an apostle and I'm not perfect. James is pastoring the church. Well, he's not an apostle in our ideas, but he was an apostle in their ideas, okay? He wasn't one of the 12. James is the brother of Jesus pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, In many of the ancient writings, he's called an apostle by his contemporaries. He said, we all, leaders, let's just call him the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He said, we all stumble in many ways, not not just one, many ways. And he said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, all right, these are his words, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, why is that? Okay. Okay. He said, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, but guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs them. So also the tongue is a small member. Sorry, small here is tied to here. So the tongue also is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. You you get somebody whose mouth is out of control, man, they can tear up a whole church. You get somebody whose mouth is out of control, they can tear up a whole city. They can tear up a whole province. They can tear up a whole nation. One person's mouth, one person's tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. (laughs) So your tongue, your tongue is a whole world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Wow. So hell sets your tongue on fire. And then your tongue sets the whole course of your life on fire. And your tongue stains your whole body. 
and your tongue sets everything ablaze around you. Wow. The power of the tongue. The power of your words. Your words can bring healing and peace, or your words can bring nothing but strife. Have to be careful what you do with your tongue. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and is tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wow. So the tongue cannot be tamed. The tongue is a restless evil. The tongue is full of deadly poison. Now, add to this verse, if, if we weren't sitting here with you right now, I would put in a verse over here where they poison the minds of the people against Paul. So the tongue, full of deadly poison for the minds. And I will put in that verse. They poison the minds against Paul. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. This shouldn't be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, he said, listen, these things should not be so. It's, it's, it's not natural. Now, how do you fix all this? All right. Come back up here and see the pilot. The small rudder is the tongue, but now you've got the will of the pilot. So how do you fix the tongue? Fix the tongue by fixing the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus said. The heart, the heart is the pilot. The tongue is the rudder. You know what? If your mouth is tearing up a lot of people's lives, fix your heart. Don't try to control your mouth because sooner or later, it's going to vomit out some more. Fix your heart. And then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak good things. Fill your mind with whatsoever things are good and pure and lovely and of a good report. You know, sometimes you just have to, I'm not going to be around those people because when I'm around those people, all I do is get full of strife and gossip and, and hurt and bitterness. Sometimes you have to, forgive me, you have to listen to the news and say, I'm not going to listen to the news anymore. The news is just so, everybody's so mad and screaming at each other. I don't want to listen to that anymore. I don't want to put that in my heart. Fix your heart and your mouth will be fixed. Try to fix your mouth. <laughs> you know, you can sew it shut, but it, it's going to come out. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
by his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. All right, so who is wise and understanding among you? Good conduct. That's where you see wise and understanding. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. He said, now listen. Now, he's talking about you. And remember, who is the you? My brothers. He said, hey, bro, if you've got bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Wow. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, this is my vision. Don't start talking like that. Okay? This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Okay, that's earthly wisdom. Not God's wisdom. For where you find jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, not might be, will be disorder and every vile practice. Wherever you find jealousy and selfish ambition, there will always be disorder at every vile practice. It's just always there. You know, some of you, you know, forgive me, you're department heads or you own or have a small company and you're always having problems with people. You know, sometimes you just got to get, sometimes you just got to remove people because there's jealousy there. There's selfish ambition there. There's bitterness there. And as soon as those people are gone, all the disorder leaves. Everything's peaceful. All the bad stuff leaves because the jealousness and the selfish ambition bring the disorder and the vile practice. So sometimes you just have to get out of broom and clean house. And when those people are gone, everything is wonderful. But the wisdom from above, all right, this is, this is God's wisdom, is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere, all right? So these are the characteristics of God's wisdom. Look at them again. It's pure. It's peaceable. It doesn't tear up anybody. It doesn't go out and start all kinds of conflict. It's gentle. It's open to reason. You, you can reason. God's wisdom you can talk to. It's full of mercy. It's got good fruits. It's impartial. And it's sincere. Eight characteristics of God's wisdom. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Beautiful. I mean, what do you, what do, you do with stuff like this? It, this is... Every bit of this is where we live every day of our lives. This is, this is how to live the Christian life. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Hello, welcome back to Ezekiel, the drama, drama prophet. <laughs> and it is not really the same as Isaiah, is it? Isaiah is really Isaiah, really very bursting into praise all the time, whereas Ezekiel is a little bit more serious, isn't it? Speaking the word of the Lord, speaking the word of the Lord dramatically in parables and in acting out with props and sets. It is a very dramatic book, but we are learning some basic, good, foundational truths. And you know, when you study books like this, you also learn a little bit of the fear of God that you will live for God and you will respect God and respect his ways and live for him because I'm not sitting on the throne. God is. Amen. This is something very significantly important to learn because all scripture is given for instruction, for correction, for reproof, and we can learn and we can grow from all of it. Well, today, the passage that we're going to read, it starts off in Ezekiel chapter 24 with a passage that oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all, but it's there and it happened. And so we're just going to have to understand it a little bit and say, yep, this is the scripture. And there are passages like that. You don't have to like a passage in the Word of God, but you have to live the Word of God, right? And this is the passage wherein Ezekiel's wife dies. So now you know why I don't like the passage. <laughs> I always would wonder when my little girl was growing up, why is it in Disney movies that the mom always dies? And the mom is dead. Like, really? <laughs> I don't like that. But in this case, Ezekiel's wife dies. And I just want to ask you a question. Is God good? God is good. Is God cruel? Never. God is not cruel. God is good. And does he take pleasure in anyone's death? We just read that a few chapters ago, right? He doesn't take pleasure in anyone's death. So we don't know really why Ezekiel's wife died. We don't really know. We don't know if there was, maybe it was a year like this one. Maybe there was plague and pestilence going around because in those days, they didn't have all the modern medicines and so on. And yes, plagues would easily go around. And here they were, exiles in a foreign land, crowded conditions. If there was a plague, it could just sweep through and people would suddenly just die. We don't know what, was she already ill? Did, did she die of a plague? Were there many people dying at the time? And that's why this became an illustration. We don't know, but we do know that God doesn't kill people. And we do know that that is not his character in any context. But he took her, in John chapter 14, we're learning that when, when any one of us dies, when it's our time to go to heaven, Jesus comes and takes us. And he takes us to be with himself. And that is a comfort to us, a beautiful thing. So we don't really know why she died, but we know God didn't kill her. But he took her to be with himself when she died. And he's letting Ezekiel know, hey, I'm about to take her because she's coming to me. 
And he gave Ezekiel some unusual instructions that you're not supposed to. He said, sigh, but not aloud. So you are going to mourn, but only to yourself. You're not going to do the usual mourning rituals that other people would do. And you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we don't grieve like the people who have no hope. When someone dies in our family, do we grieve? Absolutely. It's healthy to grieve. We do grieve. There's a godly grief, but we do not grieve like someone who has no hope. Because we have a hope that is anchored in heaven, in the heavenly places, and it anchors our soul, right? So let's read that passage with that little bit of understanding. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. I am so happy to know that Ezekiel's wife was the delight of his eyes. He loved her. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. So these are traditions that the people would do. It's, it's you know, loud wailing and mourning, very loud traditional mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And at the evening, my wife died. And on the next morning, I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things mean for us, that you're acting thus? Then I said to them, The word of the Lord came to me. So, you know, when you don't go along with the ways of the world, and you don't excessively mourn, but you grieve as the person who knows that we will see each other again in heaven. People will notice the difference and they'll come to you and say, why are you so strong? And you are going to be able to look at people and say, I don't know, it's the worst time of my life. And yet the joy of the Lord is there. The peace of God is there. And you will find that in the worst times of your life, that God is there, his peace filling you, flooding you, even so. The word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes and the yearning of your soul and your sons and your daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword and you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. Your turban shall be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. And you shall not mourn or weep, but you shall rot away in your iniquities and groan to one another. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign. According to all that he has done, you shall do. When this comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. Again, those are things that could have been avoided had they turned to the Lord with all their hearts and lived for him. As for you, son of man, surely on the day when I take them from their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire, and also their sons and daughters, on that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day your mouth will be open to the fugitive, and you shall speak and no longer mute. So you shall be assigned to them, and they will know that I am the Lord." 
Wow, what a passage, what a chapter. Chapter 25. In chapter 25, we're going to start a little mini tour. (laughs) Remember in the book of Isaiah, we had a grand tour of all the nations around Israel and the oracles that Isaiah would speak against those nations. Well, we're going to have a little mini tour of just little bit, few verses about the verse, the nations around about. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites. So Ammon, modern day Jordan, and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession, and they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah, Rabbah, remember that is the modern-day Amman Jordan, a pasture for camels, and Ammon a fold for flocks, then you will know that I am the Lord. So these people had rejoiced so much when Israel was in trouble, or the Judah, the southern kingdom. Anything bad happened to them. Yay! This is wonderful! (laughs) And it does happen, right? It does happen that people rejoice over the misfortune of their enemies. But should any one of us ever Rejoice over the misfortune of another human being? Of course, the answer is never. We should never. We should pray for those who are in distress. We should help people when they can, but we should never rejoice over the death of an enemy. We should never, oh, well, good for him. He's gone. I'm happy. We should never, ever feel that way because that's a very ungodly attitude. So, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Sounds like modern times, doesn't it? Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and make you perish from out of the countries. I will destroy you, then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like the other nations. Therefore, I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country Beth, Jeshimoth, Baal-Meon, and Kiriathaim. I will give it, along with the Ammonites, to the people of the east as a possession, that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations." And I will execute judgments upon Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy in never-ending enmity 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, and I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes, then they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. That never-ending enmity, there is an enmity that goes on and on and on of the people nations against Israel. And unfortunately, we see that. We even see it today, don't we? Uh, we see people rejoicing when there's a bombing in Israel or when there's a, a slaying of Israelite soldiers. And we see rejoicing going on by some other people. God notices that. And there will be a price to pay. Because God will hold people accountable who rejoice in the misfortunes of others. Chapter 26 starts a, uh, not just a few verses against Tyre, the city of Tyre, but the, there are several chapters that are going to deal with Tyre. And so we won't get to finish all of that today, but tomorrow Pastora A will continue with some of these chapters. But it's really, really going to be interesting because there is specific uh, prophecy about Tyre, and there is specific meaning when it comes to Tyre. In the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, because Tyre has said con concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken, it has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre. And will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre. So remember that Tyre was a port city, a very, very famous port city, a proud city. And they would call um, the great ships into their ports. And the great tall sailing ships would come in and trade with all the nations. Very famous city. But that's why it's talking about the sea bringing up its waves. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets. For I have spoken, declares the Lord, and she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring up against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, King of kings with horses and chariots and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. He will kill with the swords your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls. And with his axes, he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, your stones and timber and soil. They will cast into the midst of the waters, and I will stop the music of your songs, and the sound of your lyres shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. 
You shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord. I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded groan, when the slaughter is made in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones and remove their robes and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. And they will raise a lamentation over you and say to you, How have you perished, you who have were inhabited from the seas, O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea, she and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all the inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you, and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down, and those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the world below, among the ruins from of old, with those who go down to the pit, so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. So when you see cities or nations that have exalted themselves and are filled with pride. We are everything. We are great. We are awesome. We are all that. And they have exalted themselves and removed God from their thinking and from their desires. Then live long enough, you're also going to see the demise of that city or of that nation. It might not happen in a moment, but it will happen because you cannot exalt yourself above God and say you are better and you don't need God and you don't need anything. And you are so Capernaum was such a city. They were filled with pride. Capernaum was a city in Jesus day where he lived and he taught. It was a wealthy city, very wealthy, but they thought they were all that. Now today, when we go to Israel on Israel tour, you can walk around the ruins of that city. And you can see what happens when a city thinks they don't need God. They're all that. And they're so filled with pride. Any nation, city, family, empire has no regard for God. It will fall. It will. So don't get your eyes on greener pastures. Don't think that some other city or some other nation is all that. And that if you could just get there, you'll have a better future for your children. You may lose your children to their wickedness. So you have to think about that. Think a hundred times before you decide, yes, but look at, I can make money there and I can raise my children there. And you, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your children's souls? Amen? So you might end up even living through the downfall of that city. Lessons to be learned from the ancient cities and the ancient times. That is our Ezekiel reading for today. It's always such a pleasure to be with you and to read the Word of God together. 
Thank you for joining us today for Morning Devotions. It's Friday, so tonight we have our Friday online service. This is streaming live from the auditorium. It starts not at 7, but at 6.30. It's our prayer and worship and teaching service from the main auditorium. Please do join us if you can join us live in the church. If you're still at home, then join us online. It will be a pleasure to see you again at 6.30 tonight.